0: Welcome to my public life as an American nerd. I am your host, David K. Montoya. You know, uh, we already know what I'm going to talk about. And I don't know, I just, I, I almost feel like it's moot because, you know, people around the world are showing their love and respect for stanley martin lieber but uh the world knows him as stan lee and from the united states army to kevin smith to marvel to kevin feige to disney ceo you know, people that are more well-respected and and revered are stepping forward and showing their love and respect. And someone like me, it, again, it, it almost sounds, well, not, not sound, but feel like the insignificance of who I am. With less the effect of what I have to say. But regardless, I am going to talk about the late, great Stanley. Not only because of the fact that I had the utmost honor to speak with him and, and have a brief conversation, and I uh, post for a picture and it's he affected me for him being himself helped develop who I became like millions around the world obviously, and you know you 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 kind of my my mind is racing right now, not only for the simple fact that it it's like and i i was Telling this to uh Mario Martinez because I told him, you know, I, I'd messaged him and um told him the bad news and I was explaining to him that the the heartfelt pain and the the heartbrokenness was on a personal level. It was like, you know, that cool grandpa that you had. You know, the one that you love to hang out on hang out with on the weekends, you know, he's the one who who passed away. And that's the way that I I guess I I interpreted Stan Lee into my life is he was that cool grandpa. And um it's just so I don't know, I, I it's it's literally taken me Three days to to really sink in and and be able to sit down and f- form a, a thought and articulate my words barely as you can tell to to do this podcast. But uh, one of the things that I, I was going to say and I, I kind of digressed is I was always told as a kid. And I always grew- and I grew up to the point where I believed it, even to the point of Monday is where it really changed for me, and I was always told one person can't change the world, one person doesn't have that sort of impact, and I believe that for forty one and a half years I believe that until monday when stanley passed away and people millions around the world showed their respect i know people from brazil from india from spain of course the uk i seen one from France. It's... It's... It was... Oh, Canada. Of course, Canada. You know, because he he would frequent Canada as much as he frequented in the United States. Because, well, he was a New Yorker for years, so... You know, Canada was just not too far from where he was. You know, so... But... I learned that that was not true. One person could. I mean, of course, there was a lot of barriers to overcome, but one person could change the world. He he did. And I know a lot of people because I... I brought this up to, you know, a couple people on the sidelines and just then thought and they they both brought to my attention, you know, Walt Disney. Walt Disney had a big impact on the world. But he did not change the world. When he died, you know, he had not changed the world. And I know it's probably not fair to say because, you know, Walt Disney died prematurely as where Stan was 95 years old. Um, But he got to witness how he changed the world. And from here on out, you, you have to accept the fact that if you try hard enough if everything falls in place and the stars are aligned and you're willing to sacrifice and give and never give up you might actually be able to change the world like he did you know i i was so i was enamored With the outcry of support for him. And like I said, you know, in the beginning, the very beginning, the United States Army even put up a tweet, you know, saying goodbye, rest in peace, Dan. The United States Army, that says something, you know, a writer, a creator gets the respect of the United States army now that's because stan was a world war 2 veteran um and if you're a stanley fan you know the story that he he was enlisted into the military and he had all intentions of you know grandeur that he was going to go beat the nazis single-handedly and win world war ii by himself but that did not happen as they found out that he had writing skills and he wrote pamphlets and how-to books and and wrote instructional videos and though he played it off like eh, no big deal you have to understand that the people that won the war the soldiers I'm talking about. They had to have the literature to learn how to combat, right? So, without him, yeah. It would have been awfully difficult. And it, it's... It was just amazing to see that. You know, it's... um. I don't even think it's really set in, to be honest with you, at this point, because as I'm speaking, my mind's still reeling. And I just, I don't, I don't know. I'm, I'm almost a loss for words. But um, yeah, he was. Uh, you know, the the funny thing is, is me I grew up you know and became well i was i was a little kid when i I first fell into Marvel comics, and of course he created the x men so that's my tie to Stanley is because I'm a big x men fan and as I got older, I got my hands on some you know reprints and and read his old stuff, and like right now, I have all his uh X-Men work on comicology. So I've read all his work. And. I've read his stuff. And I read. Other people's stuff. In that time era. And. You know from other. Publishing houses. Mainly DC. And it's interesting because. Up until that point there was no real character depth it was it was pretty bland and stan is the one that of course came in and and changed that you know gave comic books drama and to be fair you know stan did you know prior to the fantastic 4 number 1 uh he wrote in traditional comic book format and it was kind of bland it really was but that was that was the industry back then and you know, as a creator, I have to say thank you for Stan taking that chance because you know without Stan taking that chance on Fantastic Four, I don't know where the medium would be. It's I, don't, I I'm I'm trying to get through this and it's it just it's So surreal to me right now. That's the heater, by the way. If if you hear that. It's a cold November morning. And the heater turned on. So. Where do I want to go? I guess I can talk about the... The experience of meeting Stan back in 2010, 2011, something. It was like, it was around there. I don't remember exactly. I think it was 2010. My sister Rebecca and I went to the Los Angeles Comic Con, and there was a contest that you put in a ticket and it would be pulled. And if your number was, you'd get to meet Stan Lee. Well, it was neat because both Rebecca and I, I, we we didn't do this strategically. It just kind of fell that way. But by the time we went and put in our tickets, the bin was so packed that when they tar- they, you know, t- tilled it, they they turned it. It didn't do nothing. It was still the same. You know, it was just packed. So the the top two that they pulled out was Rebecca and I. So we both got to meet Stan Lee. And, uh, of course, you know, we had to wait in line because they they had picked so many. And then there there's always that douchebag with, you know, a box of comic books that he wants a person to, st- you know, the sign that annoys me to no end so when i i got up to stan lee he looked at me and, and i it was just like it was a processing moment i'm like oh my god you know i'm meeting the stan lee and uh, of course he greets me with you know hey true believer and i was like i'm dave he laughed he goes come here i lean in i'm like okay he goes i'll tell you a little secret i was like what's that he goes I call everybody True Believer because I can't remember crap. And I was laughing. I was like, that's genius. That is genius because that's his catchphrase, but that way he doesn't have to learn anybody's name. That's genius. And uh, I asked him, you know, because he asked, he goes, well, you got a question? And I go, yeah, of course. I I was like, you know, what, what made you decide to add... Drama into your your script, your writing, and he goes. The coolest thing is inspiration. I go, yeah. He goes. You can look out your window and find inspiration. You can see a lady jogging down the street. You can always wonder, whoa, you know, what is she thinking? You know, what is she doing? And that to be true to the human being, there's some type of character. and I'm like, yeah, that that makes total sense. And he explained that's where it comes from, is because he he wanted to use, you know ideas from the outside world, looking outside, because he always said, you know, the best inspiration is just right out your window." And to use the people that you see out the window as human beings in real life, we all have some type of drama, and that's what inspired him to incorporate that into his comic book scripts. And I was like, "That's it's so simplistic, but it's genius. It really is." And it's, it's just, I don't know. I, I there's a piece of advice that I'll never forget. Because it, uh, there's got to be drama. There's got to be drama. There's got to be conflict. There's got to be some type of internal conflict. And Stan's the one that originated that idea. So I've decided that I want to look at a few things about Stan Lee. And we'll read through it and, and see if there's anything that... Is worth mentioning, and well, obviously it's worth mentioning. I said that wrong, but I'm saying maybe something that we it'll uh, spark a conversation. So let's see what it says. It says Stanley, born Stanley Martin Lieber, December twenty eighth, nineteen twenty two. He was so close to his ninety sixth birthday, and of course he passed away November twelfth, two thousand eighteen was an American comic book writer, editor, publisher, active from the 1940s to 2010s. He rose to the ranks of a family-run business, becoming Marvel Comics' primary creative leader for two decades, leading its expanding from a small division of a publishing house to a multimedia corporation that dominated the comic book industry. In collaboration with others at Marvel, particularly co-writers and artists, Jack Kirby and Steve Dicko, he co-created numerous popular fictional characters, including superheroes, Spider-Man, the X-Men, Iron Man, Thor, the Hulk, The Fantastic Four, Black Panther, Daredevil, Doctor Strange, and Ant-Man. In doing so, he pioneered a more naturalistic approach to writing superhero comics in the 1960s. And in the 1970s, he challenged the restrictions of the comic book code authority, indicating leading to changes in its policies. In the 1980s, he pursued developmental of Marvel properties and other media with mixed results. Following his retirement from Marvel in the 1990s, he remained a public figurehead for the company and frequently made cameos, appearances in movies based on Marvel characters, on which he received an honorary executive producer credit. Meanwhile, he continued independent creative ventures in his 90s, until his death in 2018. You know, honestly, if I make it to the 90s, I just hope that I can... Be like him. I mean, he literally he worked all the way until the end, and you know, I just wish I could. I, I I hope if I make it that long, I hope I I get to go that way. It also says that Lee was inducted into the comic book industry's Will Eisner Award Hall of Fame in 1994, and the Jack Kirby Hall of Fame in 1995. He received. The NEA, National Media of Arts, in 2008. Let's find out what NEA's is. I've never heard of NEA's. Just take a peek here. Uh, National Endowment of Arts. Okay. Cool. He's done so much in his life. Uh, It says early life. Stanley Martin Lieber was born on December 28, 1922, in Manhattan, New York City, in an apartment of his Romanian-born Jewish immigrant parents, Celia and Jack Lieber, at the corner of West 98th Street and West End Avenue in Manhattan. His father trained as a dress cutter, worked only sporadically, after the Great Depression, and the family moved further uptown to Fort Washington Avenue in Washington Heights, Manhattan. Lee had once, or had one younger brother named Larry Lieber. He said in 2006 that as a child he was influenced by books and movies, particularly those of Errol Flynn playing heretic. Or <laughs> heroic roles by the time Lee was in his teens, the family was living in an apartment at seventeen twenty University Avenue in the Bronx. Lee described it as the third floor apartment facing out back. Lee and his brother shared a bedroom while his parents slept on a fold-out couch. Lee attended DeWitt Clinton High School in the bronx in his youth lee enjoyed writing and entertained dreams of one day writing the great american novel he said that in his youth he worked such part-time jobs as writing obituaries for the news service and press releases press releases sorry guys for the national tuberculosis center delivering sandwiches for the Jack May Pharmacy to offices in Rockefeller Center, working as a office boy, and a trouser, man, trouser manufacturer usher at the Roosevelt, or yeah, theater on Broadway, and selling subscriptions to the New York Herald Tribune newspaper. He graduated from high school early, at the age of sixteen and a half in 1939 and joined the WPA Federal Theater Project. Career. Early career. With his help from his uncle, Robbie Solomon, Lee became an assistant in 1939 at the new Timely Comics division of Pulp Magazine and comic book publisher Martin Goodman's Company. Timely. By the nineteen sixties would evolve into Marvel Comics. Lee, whose cousin Jean was Goodman's wife, was formerly hired by timely editor Joe Simmons. Joe Simmons, that is Captain America Curl Creator, if I remember right. His duties were at first basic. In, the, in those days, the artists dipped their pen and in ink. So, I had to make sure the inkwells were filled, Lee recalled in 2009. I went down and got them their lunch. I did a proofreading. I erased the pencils from the finished pages. uh, Marshaling his childhood ambitions to be a writer, young Stanley Lieber made his comic book debut with the text filler, Captain America foils the traitor's revenge in Captain America number 3, cover date, May 1941, using the pseudonym Stan Lee, which years later would adopt as his legal name. Lee later explained in his autobiography and numerous other sources that Because of the low social status of comic books, he was so embarrassed that he used the pen name so that nobody would associate his real name with comics when he would someday write the great American novel. His initial story also introduced Captain America's trademark ricocheting shield toss. Huh, interesting. I did not know that. <clears throat> he graduated from writing fillers to actual comic books and backup features. Headline, Hunter, Foreign Correspondent. Two issues later, Lee's first superhero creation was the Destroyer in Mystic Comic Number 6. 1941 of August. Other characters he created... During the uh, period, fan and histor- historians call the golden age of comic books, including Jack Frost, debuting in USA Comics No. 1, August 1941, Father Time, uh, debuting in Captain America number no. 6, 1941 of August. When Simon and his creative partner Jack Kirby left in 1941 following dispute with Goom- Goodman, the 30-year-old publisher... Installed Lee, just 19 years old, as interior editor, or interim editor. Sorry about that, guys. The youngest, or the youngster, showed a knack for the business and led him to return as the comic book division editor in chief, as well as the art director for much of that time, until 1972, when he would succeed Goodman as publisher. <clears throat> Lee entered the United States Army in early 1942 and served with the United States as a member of the Signal Corps, repairing telegraph poles and other communication equipment. He was later transferred to the Training Film Division, where he would work writing manuals, training films, slogans, and occasionally cartooning. His military classification, he says, was playwright. Hmm, I wonder if they have that type of classification nowadays, you know? I mean, it's been what? Oh, God, don't make me do math this early, but decades. Well, let's see. Okay, so 42, 52 was 10, 62 was 20, 72 was 30, 82 was 40, 92 was 50, 2002 was 60, 2012 was 70, so almost 80 years, almost 80 years, so there you go, <clears throat> yeah, that's, yeah, I, I don't, honestly, I don't think so, I don't think that um, they have playwright as a classification, uh, he goes on, it says, he adds that only nine men in the United States Army were given that title. It says, Vincent Fago, editor of Timely's Animation Comics Selection, which put out humor and funny animal comics, filled until Lee returned from his World War II military service in 1945. Lee was inducted into the Signal Corps Regimental Association and was given honorary membership to the 2nd Battalion of 3rd Infantry Regiment out of Joint Base Lewis at 2017 Emerald City Comic Con for his prior service. Oh, that's cool. Alright, let's see, what else does it say here? In the mid-1950s, by which time the company was now generally known as Atlas Comics, Lee wrote, Stories in a variety of genres, including romance, Western humor, science fiction, medieval, adventure, horror, and suspense. In the 1950s, Lee teamed up with comic book colleague Dan DiCarlo to produce a syndicated newspaper strip, My Friend Irma, based on a radio comedy starring Marie Wilson. By the end of the decade, Lee became dissatisfied with his career and Considered quitting the field. Yeah, we all know this story, huh? This is really where he, he makes his name for himself. As it reads, Marvel Revolution. In the late 1950s, DC comic editor Julius Schwartz revived the superhero architect and experienced a significant success with its updated version of The Flash. And later, the super team, the Justice League of America. In response, publisher Martin Goodman assigned Lee to come up with a new superhero team. Lee's wife suggested that he experimented with stories he preferred, since he was planning on changing careers and had nothing to lose. Lee acted on that advice giving his superheroes a flawed humanity and changed from the ideal archetype that were technically or typically written for preteens before this most superheroes were idealistically perfect people with no serious lasting problems lee introduced complex naturalistic characters who could have Bad tempers, fits of melancholy and vanity, they bickered among themselves, worried about paying their bills, and impressing girlfriends, got bored, or even or were even sometimes physically ill. The first superhero Lee and Jack Kirby created together were the Fantastic Four. Based on a previous Kirby superhero team, Challengers of the Unknown, published by DC Comics, the team's immediate popularity led Lee and Marvel's illustrators to produce a cavalcade of new titles. Again, working with Kirby, Lee co-created the Hulk, Thor, Iron Man, and even the X-Men, with Bill Everett, Daredevil, and Steve Ditko, Doctor Strange, and Marvel's most successful character, Spider-Man, all whom lived in a thoroughly shared universe. Lee and Kirby gathered several of their newly created characters together and formed a team, the Avengers. And would revive characters from the nineteen forties, such as the Submariner and Captain America. It says comic historian Peter Sanders wrote in the nineteen sixties, okay, let's see what it says. DC was equivalent to the big Hollywood Studios after the brilliance of DC's reinvention of the superhero. In the late 1950s and early 60s, it had run into a creative drought by the decade's end. There was a new audience for comics now, and it wasn't just little kids that traditionally had read comic books. The marvel of the 1960s was in its own way the counterpart of the French New Wave. Marvel was pioneering new methods of comic storytelling and characterization, addressing more serious themes, and in the process, keeping and attacking readers, attracting readers in their teens and beyond. Moreover, among the new generation of readers were people who wanted to write and draw comics themselves within the new style that Marvel had pioneered, and pushed their creative envelope even further. Lee's revolution extended beyond the characters and storylines to the way in which the comic books engaged the readership and built a sense of commonarity between fans and creators. He introduced the practice of regularly introducing a credit panel on the splash page of each story, naming not just the writer and the penciler, but also the inker and the letterer. Regular news about Marvel staff members and upcoming storylines was presented in the Bullpen Bulletin page, which, like the letter columns that appeared in each title, was written in a friendly, chatty style. Lee remarked that his goal was for fans to think that the comic creators as friends and considered it as a mark of his success on the front of that. At the time, the letters to each other comic publisher were typically addressed, Dear Editor. Letters to Marvel addressed the creators by first name, Dear Stan and Jack. By 1967, the brand was well enough established in the popular culture that a that a March 3rd WBA radio program with Lee and Kirby as guests were titled, Will Success Spoil Spider-Man? Throughout the 1960s, Lee scripted, art-directed, and edited most of Marvel series, moderated the letter pages, wrote a monthly column called Stan's Soapbox, and wrote endless promotional copy, often signed off with his trademark motto, Excelsior, which was also the New York State motto. To maintain his workload and meet deadlines, he used a system that was used previously by various comic book studios, but due to Lee's success with it, became known as the Marvel Method. Typically, Lee would brainstorm a story with the artist and then prepare a brief synopsis rather than a full script. Based on the synopsis, the artist would fill the allotted number of pages by uh, let's see. I sorry, I lost my place where I was reading. Drawing the panel to panel story telling. After the artistic turn in pencil pages, Lee would write the word balloons, and captions and oversee the lettering and coloring. In effect, the artists were co-plotters with whose collaborative first drafts Lee built upon. Lee recorded messages to the newly formed Mary Marvel Marching Society fan club in 1965. Following Ditko's departure in 1966, Ramada John Romita Jr., no, John Romita Sr. (laughs) I jumped ahead, didn't I? Became... Sorry, Mario, if you're listening to this. Um, Because I know how much you love John Romita Jr. Uh, (laughs) John Romita Sr. became Lee's collaborator on The Amazing Spider-Man. Within a year, it took over Fantastic Four to become the company's top seller. Lee and Romita's stories focused as much on the social and college lives of the characters as they did on Spider Man's Adventures. The stories became more typical, addressing issues such as the Vietnam War, political elections, student activism. Robbie Robinson introduced into the Amazing Spider Man number fifty one, August nineteen sixty seven, was the first African American character in comics to play a serious supporting role. Wow. In the Fantastic Four series, the lengthy run between Lee and Kirby produced many acclaimed storylines as well as characters that have become central to Marvel, including the Inhumans, the Black Panther, and an African king who would be mainstream comics' first black superhero. I did not know that either. Wow. I mean, I I knew, but I didn't know it was the first mainstream black hero. That's wow. Uh, let's see. The story frequent in cities as Lee and Kirby's for finest achievements, and the three part Galactus trilogy that began in the Fantastic Four forty eight nineteen sixty six Cronin claimed the arrival of Galactus, the cosmic giant who wanted to devour the planet, and his herald, the Silver Surfer. Fantastic Four number 48 was chosen as number 24 in the 100 Greatest Marvel Marvels of All Time poll from Readers in 2001. The editor wrote in his introduction to the story that as the fourth year of the Fantastic Four came to a close, Stan Lee and Jack Kirby seemed to be only warming up. In retrospect, it was perhaps the most futile period, fertile period, good grief, I can't read today, of month, monthly titles during the Marvel Age. Comic historian Les Daniels noted that the mystical and metaphysical elements that took over the saga were perfectly suited to the taste of the young readers in the 1960s, and Lee soon discovered that the story was a favorite on college campuses. Lee and artist Joe Basima launched the Silver Surface series in 1968. The following year, Lee and Gene Collin created the Falcon Comics, first uh, uh, African-American superhero in Captain America 117, September 1969. And then in 1971, Lee indirectly helped reform Comic Code. The United States Department of Health, Education, and Welfare had asked Lee to write a comic book story about the dangers of drugs, and Lee conceived a three issue subplot in The Amazing Spider-Man 96 through 98, cover date May to July 1971 in which Peter Parker's best friend becomes addicted to prescription drugs. The comic Code Authority refused to grant its seal because the story depicted drug use. The anti-drug context was considered irrelevant. The Goodman's Corporation, and confident with that the original government requested would give him credibility, Lee had the story published without the seal. The comics sold well, and Marvel won praise for its socially conceived efforts. The CCA subsequently loosened the code to permit negative depiction of drugs, among other new freedoms. Lee also supported using comic books to provide some measure in social commentary about real world. Often dealing with racism and bigotry, Stan Soapbox considered, besides promoting the upcoming comic book projects, also addressed issues of discrimination, intolerance, and prejudice. In 1972, Lee stopped writing monthly comics to assume the role of publisher. His final of The Amazing Spider Man was 110, 1972, and his Fantastic Four was 125 and august of 1972 it just there's so much here that one can just read i mean there's so much you know uh like here it it, i'm just there was just a plethora of stuff and i know we're running out of time. It says, the Stan Lee Foundation was founded in 2010 to focus on literacy, education, and arts. It started goals including support programs and ideas that improved access to literary resources as well as promoting diversity, national literacy, culture, and the arts. Lee donated portions of his personal effects to the University of Wyoming at various times between 81 and 2001. And then of course it goes on to talk about how many times he was in the comic books. And then of course. His plethora of cameos. And it, it goes in and it, uh, just enough to. I'll just read this real fast. Lee was a created an executive producer for most of the Marvel films. And television projects beginning in the 1990s. Direct video Captain America film. Lee had cameo appearances in many Marvel films and TV projects, including those of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. A few of those appearances are self-aware and sometimes reference Lee's involvement in the creation of certain characters. He had completed the film footage for his cameo in the upcoming Avenger 4 prior to his death. And then, of course, it goes into his personal life. And then let's just okay. Let's go. Let's cover a little, uh, a few of his accolades. Uh, let's see what we can do before. Uh, I'm trying to make sure I don't run out of time here. 1974, he uh, was awarded the Inkpot Award. 1994, the Will Eisner Award Hall of Fame. 1995 was the Jack Kirby Hall of Fame. 2002, the Saturn Award, Lifetime Career Award. 2008, the National Medal of Arts. 2009 was the Hugo Award, Hugo Award for Best Dramatic Presentation, Iron Man. 2009 was the Scream Award for Comic-Con Icon Award. In 2011, he received his Hollywood Walk of Fame. In 2012, the Visual Effects Society Awards a lifetime achievement. Also in 2012, Producer Guild of America the Vanguard Award. And then this final noticeable award was in 2017, the National Academy of Video Game Trade and Reviewers performance in a comedy and supporting and it also goes down to say the county of Los Angeles and the city of Long Beach declared October 2nd, 2009, Stan Lee Day. On July 14th, 2017. Oh, I'm just making a little note here. Um, on July 14th, 2017, Lee and Jack Kirby were named Disney Legends for their creation on numerous characters that later comprised Disney's Marvel Cinematic Universe. And finally, July 18, 2017, as a part of D23 Disney Legends event, a ceremony was held at the TLC Chinese Theater I don't know, yeah, I was there this year, on Hollywood Boulevard, where Stan Lee imprinted his hands, feet, and signature in a cement. I did not see that. Wow. Next time I'm down there, I'll have to look. I did not see Stan Lee's. And then books. Uh, Let's see. Stan Lee. It says, 2002, Excelsior. The Amazing Life of Stan Lee. And then in 1997, Stan... Published the origins of Marvel Comics, Marvel Entertainment Group, and then Stan and one, another one of my favorite writers in 2015, Peter David, is his amazing, fantastic, incredible, marvelous memoirs, and then of course, comic book. Uh, let's see, comic book. Lee's comic work includes DC Comics. Ooh, okay. Let's let's see if I can go through this. DC Comic presents Superman, Detective Comics, six hundred. Just imagine Aquaman, Batman, Catwoman, Crisis, Flash, Green Lantern, JLA, Robin, Sandman, Secret Files, and Origins. Shazam! Superman again, and Wonder Woman. Marvel Comics. Amazing Spider-Man, Amazing Spider-Man strip, Avengers, Captain America, Daredevil, Epic Illustrated, Fantastic Four, Incredible Hulk, Journey into Mystery, The Mighty Thor, Kiss Nation, Nightcat, Ravage to 2099, Savage She-Hulk, Savage Tales, Sergeant Fury and Howling Commandos, Silver Surfer. Solar Man, Spectacular Spider-Man, Strange Tales, Shield, Tells to Astonish, Tells to a, uh, Tells a Suspense, Web of Spider-Man, What If, The X-Men. All right, and then it says, Hero Man, How to Draw Comics the Marvel Way, and Karaku Curry, Karakuri Duki Ultimo. Which is manga's original concept. Alright, kids. Let's see. It just says a whole bunch of notes. It's it's just really great stuff. Alright, I want to thank everybody for coming in and letting me ramble on for this long. The world's just not going to be the same without Stanley. And Godspeed. We're going to all miss you. So for this episode of My Public Life and as an American nerd, I am David K. Montoya. And while normally I bid you adieu, this time I bid you excelsior. Thank you, Stan.